The views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of Natural Bridges Media or KSQD's staff, volunteers, or underwriters. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Be Bold America. My name is Jill Cody. Be Bold America is a live bi-weekly talk show for those who are motivated to step out with the bold actions necessary to begin reuniting this country and saving our democracy. Be Bold America is for those who want to understand the unique challenges ahead and who are curious to learn what they can keep doing, stop doing, and start doing to save our democratic republic. Our future depends on it. Our program today is Bottom-Up Uprising to Take Back America. The Bottom-Up Revolution picks up where Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point left off. This new hopeful paradigm shift is well on the way to changing the world, and you can ride the wave and help make it happen. Bottom-up thinking is one of the most positive, disruptive forces in the world. Bottom-up is a way of life and an impactful way of doing business. Bottom-up thinking builds and accesses power, political, personal, community, and organizational, that was not available in the top-down world. The bottom-up uprising, which includes de-billionaireizing the world, will bring economic balance and take America back from the precipice of narcissistic idiocracy our democracy is struggling with today. We have big things to do. My in-studio guest today is Dr. Rick Nolthenius. Rick is chair of the astronomy department at Cabrillo College. Rick received his Ph.D. in astronomy and astrophysics, and his research ranged from black holes, chaos theory, dark matter, thermodynamics and stellar, aerospace, and human civilization systems, and, lately, in climate science. It is in his efforts to fight the climate crisis where he encounters a frightening lack of uprising for, for this ex existential crisis each one of us will experience firsthand. He's given numerous talks in Santa Cruz area on the dilemma posed by unappreciated connections between energy, economics, and our climate future. Hi, Rick. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Jill. I'm very happy to be here. I'm happy to contribute to this conversation. I think there's a, a great deal to be done in figuring out how we get from here, an unfortunate reality, to the good place we all want to be. Well, good to have you in the studio. My, our special and bold call-in expert today is Rob Call. Rob is an award-winning journalist, inventor, software architect, connector, and visionary. He is author of the book, The Bottom-Up Revolution, Mastering the Emergency, Emerging World of Creativity. Articles by and about him have been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, CNN, ABC, the HuffPost, Success, Discover, and other media. He hosts some of the world's smartest, most interesting, and powerful people on his bottom-up radio show, Heard on Pacific Stations. Rob founded and publishes one of the top Google-ranked progressive news and opinion sites, um, opednews.com, 
where he writes extensively on the challenges facing democracy today. You can hear more at robcall.com. Hi, Rob. We've been looking forward to speaking with you. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, and I've been looking forward to speaking to you. Uh, To kick things off, just start telling us and the listeners, what is the bottom-up revolution? Well, most what I've learned is that most people don't know what bottom-up is, and, and I also learned that in some languages, the idea of bottom-up doesn't even exist. Hmm. So, so the basic idea of bottom-up is, is that everybody helps each other. Everybody is connected to everybody else and everything else. And taking a bottom-up approach, everybody helps each other. Everybody is interdependent and cooperative. And that's why grassroots is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other ways that bottom-up manifests itself is with wisdom of the crowd and crowdfunding, uh, comments on Amazon or Yelp. These are all bottom-up ways that people learn or find out or get more power. And I got into it because of my website, opednews.com. It's a progressive news and opinion site. And I decided I wanted to let my users, my writers, my volunteers, my editors, have a a, a powerful role in making policy decisions. And I saw that as a bottom-up approach. And when I started doing that, the site took off. It went from seeing 5,000, 10,000 people a month to seeing hundreds of thousands, up to 800,000 people a month. Wow, that's impressive. And I got excited. I was like, what is this bottom-up? So I started checking it out. And I was doing a radio show, and I decided I'm going to do a bottom-up show. I'm going to interview people who have a take on bottom-up. So about 11 years ago, I started doing that. And I, and I got pretty lucky early on. I, and my early guests included Jack, well, people I interviewed, not always guests, but get, people I interviewed included Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, and Bernie Sanders a couple times. Mm. Um, and uh, I started interviewing neuroscientists and anthropologists and physicists, and uh, like like Fritjof Capra, for example, who wrote the Tao of Physics and the Systems View of Life. And uh, I started getting all these different perspectives about bottom up, and it, uh, I got a bigger picture that was way more than I ever imagined. Like for example. Some of the discoveries, the epiphanies that I had was that bottom-up is the way people evolved to be. Humans evolved to be bottom-up. And for almost all of our existence, I mean, humans have been in existence. Uh, we broke off from the other primates on the, the evolutionary tree about 7 million years ago. And we've been evolving to be bottom-up. And it's only since civilization came that we started being more top-down. Can, can you... Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what um, that means in in your context, bottom-up? Well, for me, personally, bottom-up meant, meant sharing power. It meant <laughs> getting everybody involved on my website to, to play a role in making decisions and setting policy. Uh, but then I started seeing all these other ways that it affected people. I started seeing how with social media, people were connecting in new ways and that there were new ways for people to to form groups and the barriers were down. It wasn't like you had to drive somewhere, like maybe even a hundred miles to get to a group that was an unusual interest group. You could just join up a group online 
and connect with other people, like, just like you can do it with like a listserv group, for example, where you sign up to get emails that everybody shares and everybody gets the emails. You know, and, it's interesting uh, that there's a, a discovery out there that the only, you only need about 3.5% of the population to really get on your side before you've got, it's kind of a tipping point where uh, if, if, it's, if it's good, if it's got something that really answers to people, that it can take off. And that's encouraging that it's a fairly small number. Well, Rob says that his book takes uh, up after where the tipping point left well, there off. You go. <laughs> so, Rob, it, it, when you say mastering the emerging world of connectivity, tell us more about that. Well, bottom up is all about connection and connectivity. Bottom up is about pe- people being conscious of being connected to other people and to nature. I, I like mm-hmm. to refer to it as connection consciousness. Ah, good and phrase. I think, I think that's a really important idea. I think that, that indigenous people have it. They already live that way. Native Americans live that way. For example, there's a Native American saying that you make a decision and base it on how it will affect the next seven generations. That's a, a consciousness of connection that goes way further than most of us, which is until the weekend, you know. <laughs> yeah. But. And and I really believe that this is such an important thing. And and then a while back, I, I, a stat came out that Facebook had passed Google in terms of uh, some different measures. And Google was an information website. Facebook is a connection website. And I, I came to the conclusion that we had transitioned from an information era, an economy, to a connection economy mm. and era. Uh, even Google. I mean, even Google's original algorithms for picking what site would rise to the top of the search results, that was based on how many other sites were connecting to that site. So even Google's original uh, search algorithm was based on connection. Well, how does one uh, deal with uh, two two parts of this, the kind of connection when somebody's flaming somebody else, the, the negative kind of, and then trolls, you know, all and all the um, bots that are around that are misconnecting us. How? What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, I, you know, running a website with hundreds of thousands of people coming to it, uh, I, I got my share of trolls. <laughs> and uh, they can be really horrible and nasty. And uh, at first I thought they were psychopaths. And I, so I started interviewing some experts on psychopaths and sociopaths. And what I learned is every psychopath and sociopath is a narcissist, but not every narcissist is a psychopath. And most of the people who I was dealing with were narcissists. Some of them were psychopaths, but you know, narcissists, everything is about them. And I would, I would get people posting articles, and they would be rejected, and it was, how dare you? This article that I've written is the article that will save the world, and you have rejected it. I will send it out to other major media and websites, and they will all publish it. You know, they might come back a, a week or two later and say, hey, I was right. I got it published as a letter to the editor. Okay. Yeah, often wrong, but never in doubt. Yeah, but, you know, that... My experience is they're narcissists. I think the, the most nasty people are they're either narcissists or they are sock puppets. They're people with an agenda trying to stir up trouble, trying to distract people from having good, healthy conversations. 
And the best thing to do with them is flag them and ignore them Mm -hmm. and ban them. I also Uh, think they're people that um, feel better about themselves when they're able to put somebody else down. And this their whole life doesn't allow for any oxygen in the room Mm -hmm. for anybody else. It's all about them. It's all about me. Oh, you're thinking about yourself. How selfish of you to do that. You should be thinking about me. That's the way they think. And of course, people with genuine self-respect will not have to go there. They, they are very comfortable in the value of what they are and what they're doing. And it's people who know deep inside that they do not that uh, feel compelled to, as you say, take all the oxygen out of the room for themselves. And after my station identification and promo, I'd like to uh, to, uh, learn more about the op-ed news, too, and so would our listeners. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM, Many Voices, One Station. Listen worldwide online at ksqd.org. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Climate One Plays on KSQD on Mondays at 6 o'clock, produced by the Commonwealth Club. Climate One is a forum for candid discussion among climate scientists, policymakers, activists, and concerned citizens with a focus on energy, the economy, and the environment. Climate One airs Monday evening at 6 p.m. right after Talk of the Bay here on KSQD 90.7 FM. Today, we're speaking with Rob Call, award-winning journalist and author of The Bottom-Up Revolution, Mastering the Emerging World of Connectivity, and Dr. Rick Nolthenius, Chair of the Astronomy Department at Cabrillo College. Now, Rob, so we're talking about connectivity, and you've been doing that for how many years with Op-Ed News? Well, I started Op-Ed News in 2003, a couple weeks after they announced that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and I knew, and and everybody I knew, knew that it was a lie. And so I decided I'd start a website that would uh, cover it. I actually didn't start doing that. I started submitting articles to other progressive websites, and nobody sent rejection letters. And I was used to writing as a freelance writer for national magazines, and they would send rejection letters if they weren't sending payment checks. And I was like, what's going on here? Uh, People should send a rejection email if you're not going to have your article published. And so I decided I'd start a website where I would respect the writers enough to, if if we were going to reject their article, send them an email and let them know. And uh, so I started it, and it started out as me collecting articles and links to articles, kind of like the Drudge Report. Mike Malloy called it the Drudge Report for progressives. Um, and uh, I then I started inviting people to write articles for me, original content, and I was writing my articles. And one of my first uh, uh, writers ended up becoming the blogger for the White House, Jesse Lee. Uh, and there have been some great success stories from people who have written with Op-Ed News where publishers have contacted them and gotten books together with them. Uh, we've published about 100,000 articles over the years, and we wow. publish about f- five, 600 a month that they come in from all over the world. I mean, literally all over the world. We've had them from Nepal and Syria and Palestine and Egypt and Russia and uh, China and uh, Japan and Mexico and you name it. We've, we've had articles and we've got readers in, in just about every 
nation, state, and principality as well. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great opportunity. How do you sort those before you link them on your website? Well, we have a team of volunteer editors, and we we try to. Some of them are generalists, and some of them are specialists, and uh, we get them. We have people submit an article that goes into a queue, and then we have one of the one of the either I or one of our team of editors will evaluate articles and either accept them, reject them altogether, or send them back for revisions. And uh, then we also have a collection of people who have given us permission to reprint their articles, like Chris Hedges and Paul Craig Roberts, and literally about 160 people. Mm, yeah, great people. Well, and, and you were very nice to publish one of mine, which was on the dark triad personality that, uh, in my view, Donald Trump is a dark triad personality, and that's narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism all, to, all in one, the perfect storm of... Uh, he is. Yes. He is. Yes. I mean, we have narcissism. Every, people accept that. Um, of him, and I've heard the term malignant narcissism, but you know, believing that they're better than others and arrogant and constantly fantasizing about power and success and their attractiveness. But the psychopathy, too, he fits right into that DSM 5 hair psychopath checklist as well. You know, the pathological lying, grandiosity, you know, the, the criminal versatility. And then when we get to Coldness, mock- the not caring, the yeah. carelessness. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, it's probably important. Sexual promiscuity <laughs> is one of the psy- psychopaths. And then Machiavellianism well. is, the, is that use of fear and uh, frequently cunning and deceitful and cynical disregard of morality. And we're still, even though it's not in the news, um, caging children at the border. I mean, this is... For, for our listeners, I think it might be valuable to know the difference between how... Sociopathy differs from psychopathy. So a sociopath is someone who, of course, does many of these same things and is a you know, dysfunctional personality, but they do feel some form of guilt. Psychopaths don't. It's, it's as if they've disconnected that uh, so completely that... And, and if you just watch Donald Trump as he speaks, look at his eyes and just... You can tell that truth and doing the right thing absolutely does not factor into anything. It's There's a single program running his mouth, and that is, what is it going to get me? Rob, I'm sure you have thoughts on this. Well, I, I frankly, I've done a lot of interviews with experts on psychopaths and sociopaths. And oh, tell us more. And, yeah. Well, my impression is that it's... Everybody has a different opinion of whether there is such a difference between sociopaths and psychopaths or not. And, and uh, the, 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 my main conclusion is they're all narcissists, and they all don't care, and they all exploit people. They're all predators, and they're there to extract as much as they can from people. They often enjoy it. They don't have empathy. I, I think that maybe they have defective mirror neurons, but, you know, they're, they're the opposite of, of a bottom-up person with connection consciousness. Mm-hmm. And they have, instead of connection consciousness, exploitation consciousness. How can I get the most out of this person? How can I exploit them and use them? And if I hurt them, so what? And I, I, I really, I, I have written that I, I believe that they should be identified and something should be done with them. This, you know, the reality is there are some corporations that look for them. 
Mm-hmm. We'll actually screen to find them because they, they're good at sales or they're good at cutting deals. Yeah, and well, there's, I, I really, there's, there's some great studies showing that psychopaths occupy 2,000% more in terms of per capita among CEOs than among the general population. It's just as high as in hardened prisons. Well, if a corporation was, in fact, a person, they would be a psychopath. Well, you know, well, no compassion, least, humility, yeah. or empathy. Go ahead, Rob. There's a great book on that. There's a great book on that, and I interviewed the author of it. It was also turned into a movie. And, yeah, I mean, they, they go through the list of all the ways that a corporation is designed intentionally to be psychopathic. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the, you know, the thing is, up until civilization, people would not tolerate psychopaths or narcissists. I've asked anthropologists, what would an indigenous tribe or a band do if somebody wanted half of the resources that the tribe had or that demanded that they control everything? And and there are a couple of simple answers. They would treat them as they were insane, they would kick them out, or they would kill them. That's it. That's what they would do. Yeah, we, we we pay them money and we we put them in positions of power. Power. <laughs> yeah. Well, another thing too is that is that the um, the Republican Party has been talking for decades about an imperial president. You know, an imperial president, and and I think um, Donald Trump is uh, very much trying to create himself to be that imperial president. His father told him he needed to be a king. And he also told, his father also trained him, that there are losers and killers. Not losers, winners and losers, but losers and killers. So he's been trained for a long time to think of himself as a king and a killer. And this imperial presidency concept, um, I looked up imperialism, and and it, it talks about... Um, you know, advocating for extending power and dominion. But then it further, imperialism has often been considered morally reprehensible, and the term is frequently employed in international propaganda to denounce and discredit an, impo- an opponent. And so I don't understand why Republicans are wanting an imperial presidency and, and keep talking about that. Um, well, I, I think I can understand uh, one aspect of that, and that is that when you yourself feel powerless, you want a strong man in there. And, of course, we've seen that for forever, really. Uh, it's almost like we're beginning to relive the 30s, where uh, Germany, after being vanquished, and yet after having been one of the great countries ever in the history of Western civilization with their accomplishments in music and science and in everything. And, and what did they do? They voted in Hitler. So, Rob, this is exactly a good segue um, I would mentioned that I wanted to talk about what happened on Friday with the Senate what I feel, abandoned democracy last Friday. What are your thoughts on what happened last Friday? Well, the, the Senate has its lock on power in the Senate, and they've, Mitch McConnell has been brilliant in using that in, in a maximal way, and he did it there. Uh, I think that Pelosi made a mistake, and I think that the the House made a huge mistake not continuing to investigate, keeping the investigation going, keeping the blood flowing, so to speak. And by handing it over to the Senate, uh, they pretty much capitulated. Now, I think that the House managers did a decent job of, of telling the story, and I think it's up to the American people to decide now. I think, uh, you know, I talked to 
some Trump lovers in the last couple of days. And, you know, they think that it's toast for the Democrats now. They think that Trump is going to just cakewalk into the reelection. I don't think so. I think that the, the polls are showing that people wanted to have witnesses. They wanted more information, and they didn't get it. And I think that now it's framing. It, it is up to the people in the Republican and Democratic parties to see who can dominate the story and the stories that come out and the framing. Mm. If this comes out as justice accomplished and Trump was acquitted, and that's the message that most Americans get, then Mitch McConnell and the Republicans win. If the Democrats and the candidates can come up with a message that says, this was a travesty of justice. This was a threat to democracy. This was a case where the Republicans in the Senate have left a, a, a legacy for themselves that will go down in history as one of the worst and most shameful. Then that message will be successful. Um, of course, I'm a progressive. I'm hoping that, that that will be the message, that this was a horrendous catastrophe and a, 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 an attack on democracy and justice, and that Trump is the worst president possibly imagined in American history. But, you know, I, I was in the gym yesterday in, in, in the sauna talking to a guy who's a buddy, but he loves Trump, and he says, I think that Trump could go down in history as the best president ever in American history. This is what they're thinking. This is the message they're getting from Sean Hannity and from Fox News and from uh, the, the, the conservative uh, echo chamber. And what they don't know is that Fox News was created to be a propaganda channel. It wasn't created to be a news channel at all. And it just, you know that I wrote the book America Abandoned, Rob, and I just feel this Senate abandoned their power and created an invincible president that can do anything now with impunity before between now and the election. I mean, he, they really proved that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose a fan. Uh, I also thought that it was just 75 percent of the people wanted witnesses and they didn't get it. And that's also it's like flipping off the country. You know, it was once thought that people were rational and would naturally pay uh, news agencies if they were, um, you know, accurate, that they we, we valued accuracy. And I think uh, the mistake in that calculus was that people are not rational. People uh, react emotionally, and people, what people actually want is to be reassured of what their prejudices already are. And so, of course, capitalist uh, forces will want to reinforce that. And so this is the rise of false news. Fox News, excuse me, Faux News, <laughs> uh, Rupert Murdoch, and etc. And so, well, profit-making industries—that's where we get. Go ahead, Rob. I talk in my book about authoritarianism because I think that's a major problem. Uh, you know, the opposite is bottom-up is top-down, and top-down is basically somebody saying what to do, and people being commanded, and hierarchy, and centralization, and. The reality is there are tens of millions of Americans who are highly authoritarian. Now, there are two kinds of authoritarian person. There are the handful of people who 
are going to tell people what to do. who are going to say, I want you to do this. This is what you must do. You will listen to me. You will believe me. You will respect me. You will even worship me. And that would be like Jim Jones. And uh, they're, they're, some of them are like cult leaders. But then there are these tens of millions of people, like the tens of millions of evangelicals, who are waiting for the rapture to be taken off of this planet because they don't want to be here. And then even the liberals, there are a lot of liberals, too, who, who want to be told what to do. Uh, yeah. I did some polling a number of years ago looking at health care, and I, was, I wanted to find out how many people wanted to be able to take control of their health and be responsible for their health, and how many people wanted the doctor to tell them what to do. Well, liberals were more likely to want the doctor to tell them what to do. That's authoritarian. Interesting. And so it's, it's on both sides. It's on both sides that people want to be told what to do. Yeah. You know, religion does that function very nicely. Government can do that function very nicely. Fox News can do that function. Donald Trump does that function. And I think that the bottom-up mind is one where it, it, it is people sharing with each other and connecting with each other, not one person telling everybody what to do. Now, what is really helpful to me, uh, I mentioned that we evolved to be bottom-up. Uh, civilization came along. Uh, earliest civilization was 10,000 years ago, but for a lot of places, civilization was 500 years ago. It's a relatively new, it's an extremely new phenomenon for humanity. And civilization threw away or repressed a lot of the good stuff that we have between us. And what is great is that smartphones and the Internet and online um, massive multiplayer gaming, they've all changed people's brains. People born after 1980 have different kinds of brains. Their brains work differently. They see things differently. They interact differently. And they do it in a more bottom-up yeah, way. We're, we're going after the dopamine receptors instead of the serotonin, which actually is, is more pro-human. If, if you're and, just and joining us, I need to take a, a station identification break, Rob. Just hold that thought. Sure. If, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. And State of Mind, KQS, KSQD Sunday, has State of Mind, hosted by Santa Cruz licensed psychotherapist Deborah Sloss. This Monday's program, this month's program takes a timely look at parenting transgender youth. Deborah welcomes parent Heidi Koronkowski and therapist Daniel Bloom Rosen for this thoughtful and informative discussion of the issues facing transgender youth and their parents. Join us for the new understandings and seeds of possibility on State of Mind, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. here on KSQD 90.7 FM. And we're speaking with Rob Call, founder and publisher of one of the top Google-ranked progressive news and opinion sites, Op-Ed News. You may learn more at robcall.com, and that's call with a K, robcall.com. And in the studio with me is a friend of the program, Dr. Rick Nolthenius, and I'm your host, Jill Cody. Okay, back to you, Rob. Well, what I was saying is that these genes that we have, and there are literally hundreds of these genes that make us bottom up. It, uh, you mentioned dopamine. That's one. But there are hundreds of them that affect who we are, and a lot of them were repressed. And now with these new technologies affecting us, bottom up is coming back. And I really believe that's a very hopeful thing. Uh, I, I, I've interviewed the guy who wrote the book, The Future of Power, and the book on soft power, uh, Joseph Nye, 
And what he said is that power has changed. It used to be that only nations and giant corporations and the wealthiest people had power. And now with this bottom-up revolution that's well underway, anybody can have power. If a teenager, a 13-year-old can have a YouTube channel with millions of followers and can have influence. And there are influencers all over the place. And anybody can start a news site just like I did. I mean, I started mine as a personal blog, and it grew, and it turned into something so that I was hearing from staffers from U.S. senators in response to articles that we published. And that has changed. That has changed everything. And bottom-up is something that began a while ago. I mean, 40 years ago, historians started shifting from a top-down view of history to a bottom-up view of history. Now, top-down view of history is study the generals and the kings and the, the leaders and the most powerful rich people. Bottom-up history is looking at farmers and soldiers and different cultures and different religions and different ethnic groups. And 40 years ago, if you went to a history department, it was all top-down experts. Now, they might have won. The rest of them are bottom-up historians. So it's wonderful, I think. You know, I think Howard Zinn was one of the early pioneers in that. He wrote The People's History of the United States. And uh, he, he talked to me about bottom-up history and about uh, that, that is so important. And when you start teaching history from a bottom-up perspective, it changes things. If you start teaching kids bottom-up history, they start seeing that average people can play a role in changing the world and making a difference. I'm so jealous you got to interview Howard Zinn. That's amazing. The, the yeah. people's history was something that opened my eyes about Christopher Columbus. I remember that very clearly from his book. Yes, yes. Well, how does the media... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, how does the media role in this... <laughs> um, play a role in this. I mean, Geraldo Rivera famously said if Nixon had Fox News, he would never have been impeached. That's right. Yeah. So I but think the other side of it is the other side of it is that you know, like right now, you got this contest, the Democratic primary, and you got Joe Biden saying he never said anything about doing anything with Social Security. But because of the internet, you've got all these people who are digging up the things that he did say. And now it's possible for anybody to dig up stuff on everybody. And even if the mainstream media don't cover it, it gets out there. It gets out there on Twitter and Facebook. And and there's a conversation that is possible that anybody can join and anybody can contribute to. And that's changed everything. I mean, now if you want to find out what's going on in an emerging breaking story, you don't go to a ticker tape anymore. I mean, that's totally obsolete. You go to Twitter. That's where it's happening. And then, you know, Twitter isn't for everybody, but if you're in the news business, you want to be on Twitter. Yeah, population uh, has changed. And the thing is, the keys of humanity really haven't changed that much. We're genetically about the same, and we, we respond to our basic internal needs, and one of those, unfortunately, is tribalism. So while the idea of connections as being so key is, is great, and you'd like to think that uh, the best will always rise to the top, um, in fact, it's really those who will most cater to your basis needs that seems to actually rise to the top, at least in this I, market I economy. With that. I'm sorry, I disagree with that. That is a message that was promulgated in the 
1800s. It was a, it's the Hobbesian view, the dog eat dog rule of the jungle story. It's been totally different. Well, no, that wasn't exactly my point. But I mean, look at the rise of Trump in an era when we've had this incredible expansion in the internet and the ability for ideas from everywhere to come in, and yet this is the direction we chose. Well, some of us, <laughs> many Minority. of us, not all of us, but. I would have thought that Trump would get maybe one or two percent of the fringe lunatics, uh, and yet with a little gerrymandering and, you know, here he is. In my opinion, the Democrats handed the presidency to Trump. They mm-hmm. were arrogant. They decided they were going to run the primary in 2016. They rigged it, and uh, they, they decided that it was time for Hillary, that she deserved it, and they handed it to her rather than allowing a, a, a clean primary. And I have seen that at all levels, the Democrats, maybe worse than the Republicans, think that they're smarter than the people, smarter than the voters. So they will literally overturn Democrats democratically decided elections and votes, and they will appoint people to be candidates. And I have just seen this so many times locally where I am in Bucks County. It's it's stupid. It's arrogant. It's hubris. I hate to see what they did with Bernie last election, and I see it happening perhaps again uh, after tomorrow. Well, you know, right where I live, in the town that I live, there was a special election a couple weeks ago. And because the guy who was the representative for the state Congress left to a higher position, it left an opening. And so the, the committee people for the district were, were told to vote on who to decide to run as the Democratic candidate. And they did. And the person who won, won uh, by uh, like a 68% margin. The, the, the executive leadership of the county decided that they didn't like that decision, and they picked another person. A guy, oh, dear. Uh, yeah. The person that, 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 that this, 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 the people picked, is, she's an attorney. She'd run for office successfully. She was well-known throughout the, 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 the area, and she had a smart campaign plan, but she didn't have uh, overt money. And so what they went with, what they was they went with a guy who's a, a, a high school diploma plumber, who the plumbers union was going to come up with thirty five thousand dollars. And when we asked him questions, he couldn't answer questions intelligently. He he had the articulacy of uh, of a guy who's heads in the toilet basically. And there's nothing wrong with being a plumber, but if you're going to run for office and represent people, you better be smarter than that, and you better be able to think better than that, and you better be able to answer better than that. So when this happened, this this was a local microcosm of what happens all throughout the Democratic Party, and it's really bad. This is top-down thinking. This is top-down insanity. And, And part of it is the money. Money poisons these people. You know, this guy had money coming from a, from a plumber. They decided that the people wouldn't support the other person. Well, you know, look at Bernie Sanders. Look at Elizabeth Warren. They're raising tons of money, and they're doing it without big money. On the other hand, you've got Mike Bloomberg, who has spent something, I think, $230 million already. And I'm afraid he's going to go into the Democratic convention and talk to the superdelegates and go, yeah. I'll give you a million dollars each. There's 700 of them. He's worth $50 billion. It's pocket change to him. Yeah. 
He could literally buy the election. And this is the Democratic mentality. You've got to have money. You've got to spend half your time raising money, making calls to rich people. This is not the way things should be. Part of the, the bottom-up process should be you get rid of big money in politics altogether. It should be illegal. Yeah, just like I believe well, that we not should just big money, but small money. I, I think all elections should be... Yeah. I'm sorry. I think all elections should be funded by the government. It's funded by through public funds, through through basically tax money, and everybody gets an actual equal shot. And there's some kind of a winnowing process. Now you can argue about how that would be, but to make it in nobody's uh, personal special interest to be funding somebody else's campaign. Right. And we should get rid of billionaires entirely. It should be illegal to be a billionaire. We should de-billionaireize the planet and starting with the U.S., starting with getting rid of anybody becoming a billionaire through inheritance. We've got to do that. We've got to end the dynasties that are formed by one billionaire handing off to his family billions of dollars. That should not happen ever again. Billionaires, even the most well-intended ones, I mean, people always say, well, Bill Gates is a good guy. He's got a foundation. Even the most well-intended billionaires are too powerful. They have too much money. Well, even foundations, um, I wrote a section on, in my book about this, is they choose where the money goes. It's not that it's money out into the economy and, and working um, throughout America. It's money that they have a foundation that they pick some kind of uh, something that's of interest to them. Not that it's a bad issue, but they still have control over that money. It's it's not working, um, as I said, through the economy. And often it goes out of out of the country when when uh, they form foundations. I have nothing against you know mosquito nets and in Africa. I know that's necessary, but again, that's money that was that was generated in America and then is out of the country. So even though they have foundations, it's not, they still have control over it, I guess is my point. And foundations tend to uh, authorize and fund projects Mm. with Mm -hmm. targeted endpoints. And a lot of the change we need to do has to be different. It's it's reconnecting everybody to each other. It's building these bonds. It's, It's opening up the mirror neuron connections, the empathy, so that we are all relating to each other and helping each other and building community. And that's really local stuff that uh, is so important. Uh, if, if you if you want to make change in the world, I mean, and you've got to take a break now, so maybe when we come back, I'll <laughs> Hold that thought. What to do. Thank yeah. you. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. Listen worldwide online at ksqd.org. Our bold guest today is Rob Call, author of the book, The Bottom-Up Revolution, Mastering the Emerging World of Con- Connectivity. And in the studio with me is Dr. Rick Nolthenius, Chair of the Astronomy Department at Cabrillo College. I'm your host, Jill Cody. And in these, as a perfect segue, Rob, in these last few minutes, um, we can start talking about what listeners can keep doing, stop doing, and start doing. Uh, so what are your ideas about building this uh, uh, bottom-up revolution? What can listeners uh, keep doing? Well, learn about what bottom-up is and what top-down is. Start recognizing top-down organizations, activities, patterns of behavior, and start calling it out. 
and questioning whether it's necessary, whether it's not possible to give the people more power, to give people more influence, and to, to help each other more. Uh, Bottom-up is local. Well, and one example I think of that would be, did I hear rumblings that the Democratic uh, National Committee is changing the rules again for the next debate? It sure is. It's giving Ugh. Bloomberg a break. Don't After telling all these other candidates, we're not changing the rules, <clears throat> Bloomberg gave, I think, 350000 or $325,000 to the DNC. So, of course, the DNC, which has the in- in- integrity malleability of a slime mold, uh, they said, yeah, sure, we'll let you in. So we need to yeah. call yeah. that out. Well, the danger is that we'll induce, again, millions and millions of voters to just stay home out of sheer rage mm-hmm. against this, this machine on both sides. So they'll either stay home or they'll vote for Trump or they'll vote, vote third party or they'll, or they'll write in. But that's what happened with Hillary. Yeah. You know, they, 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 and I would probably guess 10% of the people who voted for Trump were voting not for Trump, but were voting against Hillary yeah. mm-hmm. and against the DNC because they were so outraged by what happened. So, yeah. you know, one thing is look for that top-down stuff that's going on and look for it everywhere. Look at it. Look for it in, in, in your house of worship. Look for it in the schools. Look for it in your local government. And, and, and just challenge it. Don't accept that this is the way things are. Question and challenge these things. Another thing is go local. Start connecting more with your local community. Connect more with your neighbors. Connect more with the different organizations. You know, I, I, I talk in the book about how happiness is bottom up. Bottom up mm. ha- happiness is happiness is all about learning how to connect with other people, learning how to connect with nature, connecting more. Which might and not so, be immediate gratification. We really want to make sure people understand that. Yeah, but it's 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 also just learning. I mean, like learn about your neighborhood, learn about your community, learn about the the the, the birds and the animals that live there, learn about the plants that are there, learn about the migrations that go mm-hmm. through there, and 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 so when you recognize and you see something, some living creature, check it out. Mm-hmm. Well, and when, then you'll know about it. Well, it's interesting you bring up happiness because um, I've just felt that uh, Donald Trump has just sucked all the joy out of this country. You know, we have to find it ourselves locally because there's nothing joyful um, that we're doing or he says, the leadership. Just, Jill, don't let him. Don't let him. No, no, out of our daily lives. You're right. You're right. I've given workshops on on helping, teaching psychologists how to help pain patients with this model of, uh, I call it the anatomy of positive experience. I believe that people... Uh, the positive experiences are the basic building blocks of our ability to be happy, to face adversity, to love, to face challenges. Yeah, that's, you're you're and, totally correct. And, and, and so if that's the case, what do you do? You learn how to have more, better, stronger, deeper positive experiences. And I've taught this to, to healthcare providers, taught it to people who work with pain patients, because pain patients have a choice. They can live with their pain and be miserable, or they can live with their pain and get the most out of their lives and have happiness anyway. And you've got to do that with Trump, too. I mean, mm-hmm. so Trump sucks. So he is a disgusting, despicable person, and so are the 52 Republicans in the Senate. So you still go see your, your kids, your grandkids, the people you love. You go, go to a garden and see flowers. You still find ways to find joy. Mm-hmm. You, can, you still connect with the good people in the world. 
you, you still walk out in, in the woods or in a park and you see the trees. Touch a tree every day. Have some plants in your house and, and, and enjoy the, the nature and connect more with nature. All these things are little things that you can do that reconnect you with the world. And that, maybe that's one of the most important, simple messages that I have is remember to stay connected to people and to nature as much as you can and make extra efforts to do it and remember that that's part of what you want in your life. Yeah, you know, there's a great psychologist who once said that uh, people don't stop doing things just because they don't work. They stop doing things when you give them something better. And so this fits exactly with what you're saying, Rob, and that is if people can have, yeah, the experiences of what genuinely satisfies what we really are inside, because we can be mistaken about that. And, uh, you know, for my connection with nature, I go out and I run, I cycle, I bike. And without that, uh, I'd go a little crazy in this world. Exactly. Yeah, me too. Me yeah. too. I, I'm at the gym four, five, six times a week, and I'm I'm there connecting with friends. And uh, I'm, I'm running in the redwoods, but I'm lucky to have redwoods. <laughs> Still, yeah, so far, that is nice. That is great. Yeah, and 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 you know the other part of connection is you can build your connections too. You can make your connections stronger and longer and deeper too. And I, I have a whole chapter about connecting and how to do more connecting and better connecting because. The reality is our digital world has, for many of us, increased the connection at a shallow level, but decreased the deeper connections. Yeah. And we have to keep working on those deeper connections, too. They're really important. And so you've got to make an effort to do that. Well, I think one of your phrases at the beginning of the program is uh, a good start, which is people remembering the concept of connect- connection consciousness. That satisfies a yeah an important a genuine need, and that is that we are social animals, and we do best when we have a strong connection. Yeah. Well, Rick, you know, well, I was thinking, you know, I, I haven't interviewed an astronomer before, and it, it isn't a lot of the science of astronomy a study of how connections between uh, interstellar or solar uh, objects relate to each other gravitationally or with radio waves and what have you? Isn't that all about connections? Well, I would say I would say the people who become interested in astronomy are the kind of people who have the strongest felt need inside to understand the biggest connections. And while I got into climate in kind of a weird way, I'm finding that to actually make progress, it's connected to everything. And so now I'm off trying to understand the nature of free will and whether it even exists, because there is some controversy. Uh, and you can't pick up one little thing like climate and there are certain progressives who think, oh, we'll just techno our way out of it. And I, I know with 100% certainty, we will not. Not not the people that we are now. Not the not what we're obeying now. We're not going to techno our way out of it because we're addicted to growth on a finite world. And that ends in tragedy if we keep at it. Well, I think connection is astronomy um, a science where a, a connective science. Are there connections? Yes. Yeah. That's how I ended up getting approval from the curriculum committee to teach my class in uh, climate science, which has become really a lot more than just this nerdy physics. It's it's really the connections with policy, with economics, with energy dynamics, with with humanity in its deepest sense. Rob? We 
you know, one of the, the one of the epiphanies that I had was uh, interviewing Fritjof Capra, who wrote the Tao of Physics, and then he wrote yeah, I've read that mm-hmm. of Life, and the, the systems theory and chaos theory basically look at the world differently. It's a new kind of science. It's the science that replaced it, replaced the old Newtonian Cartesian science that was based on mechanistic models, taking things apart and counting and measuring them. The new models of systems theory and chaos theory, they don't so much take things apart. They look at patterns and they look at relationships. Yeah, there's em- and that's emergent- all about connection. Yeah. There's emergent phenomena that uh, human beings are the best example. We're, we're far more than the sum of electrons and protons and, you know, kaons and pions that, uh, that, that we are at the smallest level. Yeah. One of the most fun parts of my books, in my mind, is, is explaining chaos theory and systems theory in terms of emergence principles and how that means that you don't have to get 50% plus one to get a change to happen because emergent properties can explode into the world so yeah. quickly that changes can just happen uh, if, they, if they satisfy something deep and genuine and universal. Yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that gives me a lot of hope. I mean, the, the, the systems model of my bottom-up approach suggests that change can happen incredibly quickly. And it's not like we have to wait decades for it to happen. It we, can happen yeah. really fast. It can, it can happen fast, but we have to show people in a really impactful way what is positive that we have to offer. And it, it, can't, be a little, it can't be too abstract. You know, I think there's such a great need out there for somebody who's a, a great screenwriter and, and scriptwriter to, to write a movie that's equivalent to On the Beach, which was a very impactful movie for me and, you know, people my generation can remember. Young people, of course, have no idea. Oh, gee, is that a Disney beach blanket bingo? No, no. Put it on it's your Netflix a, list. Yeah, put it on your Netflix so you list. Read my chapter three, then. Eh? It's all about story and the need for us to have. Oh, you a are hero so right. That is about the people being the hero. You know, all these hero stories we have where there's one guy who saves the world. Yeah, with a wave that, of the wand. That, oh, that the is... That's the way it's going to work. We ex- all need to do it. We, yeah. yeah. Say it. Say yes, it. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, I, I love seeing films with, with resourceful youth who are showing their adults who are kind of stuck on, well, just major, wave a magic wand and problems will go away. It's like, oh, I'm so bored with those superhuman superhero movies because they're not heroes at all i'm much more old school with like the indiana jones and the you know people who could bleed and and had to figure it out you know and they made mistakes and they they embraced their mistakes and moved on to a new place now rob in the last in the last few minutes do you have other any other keep stop starts for us or or just finish that thought and rick says he has one okay rod well the, the hero's journey is is a is a, a myth that's, that Joseph Cam- Campbell describes mm. as a hero with a thousand faces, yeah, wonderful, in a thousand different cultures, and mm. we all go through hero's journeys as we go through our personal change, and we need to take our culture through a heroic journey, and we need to do it together, and understanding it. It's so important. You know, I interviewed the guy who wrote the book, The Writer's Journey, which is about taking the hero's journey and applying it to movies and books. And we explored this idea of a collective hero's journey. And that's what we need to do. If if there's anything I want you to do, it's become more connection conscious, 
start seeing more with bottom-up eyes so you can see all the connections, you can see the interdependence, you can see the way you can cooperate with other people and help other people and care about other people. If we all start doing a little bit of that, it's going to change the world really fast. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm thinking that to have real change, we need to change the motivational system. We need to change the political economic system, which at the moment rewards us financially, and frankly, money is important in the way we satisfy our needs. But it needs to be, uh, we need to be rewarded financially for actually doing real good, as if, as if you completely understood who the human animal, human person really is, and then satisfy that, as opposed to immediate gratifications. I mean, you, you, could, you could think that the, the addict is satisfying their needs, but they're doing it on such an extremely short-term level that, in fact, they're not satisfying their needs at all. They're destroying themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But it's tough. I'm That's not, a tough not, problem. I, right now, all we have is capitalism, but there are other economic models out there. There's what's called the gift economy, and a lot of indigenous people live with that. Mm-hmm. And they, they give each other. They take care of each other, and then they give each other, and they gift each other. And, you know, Andrew Yang has been talking about giving everybody a thousand bucks. And what if we gave everybody enough to live on and then people were given opportunities to make a difference in the world? Yeah, I do think that's a good idea. People, but a lot of people would say, you're out of your mind. And I think we have to open up our imaginations to other possibilities because this constant growth and this consumer mentality is destroying us, and it's not sustainable. Uh, it, it, it has a short-lived future because it, it's just not sustainable. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rob. I, it's just been a wonderful conversation. I hope you can come back sometime. I want to thank um, Rob Call, author of Bottom-Up Revolution, Mastering and Emerging the World of Connectivity, founder and publisher of Op-Ed News and the host of Bottom-Up Radio, heard on Pacific stations, and also our friend of the program who's in the studio, Dr. Rick Nolthenius, chair of the astronomy department at Cabrillo College. Next on Be Bold America will be Talk Radio's America with Dr. Brian Rosenwald, author of Talk Radio's America, How an Industry Took Over a Political Party That Took Over the United States. Don't miss it on Sunday, February 16th at 5 p.m. You're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz. Many voices, one station. Listen worldwide online at ksqd.org. Stay tuned for State of Mind with Deborah Sloss. My name is Jill Cody, and thank you for listening to Be Bold America. Until next time, keep, stop, start.